let's pray to start. Thank you, Father, for the beauty of the earth and for the change of the seasons, for the, that reminder of who you are and your great power and your unchanging nature, that you are uh, faithful all the time and good all the time. And so uh, as we approach a mammoth subject um, in many respects today, grant through your Holy Spirit a clarity of thought and mind and speech for me and uh, openness and receptivity and clarity of thought and response in all who are here. We want to honor you with this time today and pray that you will equip us uh, with another layer of your goodness and grace and the knowledge, um, heart knowledge and head knowledge that we need to live in this <clears throat> culture that is rapidly fleeing you, it would appear. Thank you for the opportunity to focus on these great truths. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. What I'm going to share today uh, will overlap some with uh, what Ricky presented so well um, last time, uh, but it will be a necessary, I believe, uh, additional facet of the whole question of who God is. And, and, uh, and so the question of today is, uh, is it reasonable to believe in God? And I put on the handout that this is session five. Is that true, or are we in six, Ricky? Do you... Do you know? Anybody? Not that it matters a lot, except... You what? Okay. Whatever it is, here we are. Um, in the interest of full disclosure, I spent the week really stressed about this. Um, for four reasons. One, the enormity, the gravity of this subject, and the eternal implications for people. Number two, the uh, reading and interacting with the spiritual and intellectual giants that have tackled this subject for thousands of years, the cosmically significant arguments and reasonings and discussions that have been put forward who am I? <laughs> Number three, uh, you know, there are mountains, literally, of materials that are, have been produced and that are available. I, I would venture to say that uh, materials written by theists, people who believe in God, from our theistic and even evangelical perspective that have been published in, in our lifetime, I mean, if you stacked them on the floor, they'd probably reach to the ceiling and, and maybe several times over. There is so much good stuff out there. And then finally, the, the subject itself, the complexity of the evidence or the lines of evidence that there are to consider in terms of dealing with the subject of the reasonableness of the existence of God, it is so complex. And again... What I have wrestled with is, who am I? Uh, 
I, I had hoped to have um, a lovely PowerPoint put together, but being fundamentally disinclined to work ahead enough to make that possible, I didn't, and so there is a rather um, record-breaking handout for you today. Uh, four pages worth, and it could easily have been six. Um, and so it's, I think this morning, and I I'm also being fundamentally lazy, I'm not gonna go to the whiteboard, so uh, it's pretty important that you have a, uh, a handout, and there are plenty for each of you. You don't have to limit them to one to family, and so just raise your hand, and Rick here, somebody will make sure that you have one, and we can follow, you can follow along. So having, uh, you know, kind of struggled with, with this, you know, I, I, there's no way that I, I have basically 60 minutes to deal with this subject this morning. And I could go any one of about 100 different directions with it. And it would be, uh, there is enough material to where it would glaze and cross our eyes to try and see it and deal with it all. So I felt the need to simplify the approach this morning. And so, therefore, with respect to, the, to today's question, is it reasonable to believe in God? The answer is, yes, it is. Class dismissed. You may go enjoy your... What, you want more? Nobody's getting up. So I, I'm going to try today to bring a few small glimmers of light to this hugely important topic by taking a certain approach. And it may not be, it certainly is not the only one. It may not be the best one. It may be the best one for me, all things considered, this morning. I'm going to structure our time today around an examination of the various worldviews that are in existence today, particularly with respect to how the existence of God is perceived or not perceived. And so we're going to identify, uh, although there's, there's no consensus on this, the, the major world views and then ask a few questions of each. So let's, let's define worldview. What, what is a worldview? What kind of sunglasses do you wear? What assumptions about life and reality do you have that color and filter the things that come through? And so I've included on your, um, on your sheets uh, a number of presentations, a number of opinions, and I'll just let you read through those. The last couple are, are just uh, kind of generic in my own summaries. The, the sum, a worldview is the sum total of a person's answer to the most important questions of life. Uh, or is just simply, even more simply, a set of assumptions about the nature of things. What's life like? What's the world like? Thank you, Ricky. So um, it's my uh, assertion this morning that everybody has a worldview. Do you, do you think that's true? Anybody disagree with that? Now, I don't think everybody consciously has a worldview. In fact, we are, are not well served if we haven't thought through our worldview. But everybody has one. What goes into making that worldview? Especially if you're dealing with it consciously and you're trying to get some answers. I believe that worldviews are shaped by how a person answers a, a certain set of questions. And I have those questions 
Um, and again, this is consciously or unconsciously, but here are the questions that shape a worldview. And part of what's going to happen today is I'm going to give you some vocabulary lessons and it, uh, introduce what may be for a few of you some new terms, some new words that are philosophical or theological or um, some, something that you maybe haven't come across before, and maybe you have. But here are the questions that shape a worldview. The first are metaphysical questions. Meta is a Latin term that simply means beyond, and so the, the bigger questions beyond the physical but related to it. Uh, and so the question is, is there something? Why is there something rather than nothing? Those are the kind of metaphysical questions that how you answer that will determine your, will become a part of your worldview. Theological questions, a little easier to get. Uh, is there a God? And not only is there a God, but an important question is in that realm is what is his relationship to the universe? Epistemological questions. Now, there, there's a nice word that sounds smart when you use it, but it, it simply has to do with truth. What is truth? Can truth be known? How is knowledge attained? Where does it come from to you? Uh, number four, ethical questions shape your worldview. Are there moral laws? What is the basis for moral law? Do those laws apply to all people? And then the last one is an anthropological question, and, and of course anthropology is simply the study of man, and so it, these questions are along this line. What is man? Are human actions free or determined? Is man essentially good, evil, or neutral? How you answer those questions determines your worldview. Now, I've listed seven worldviews that we're going to take a little look at today. There are those who have more or fewer. Um, Geisler and Turek, in their book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, a book that I fell in love with this week in a new way, by the way. If you're building any kind of an apologetics library, I would sure encourage you to add that. Norman Geisler and I think it's Frank Turek. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. They say there are only three basic worldviews, atheism, pantheism, and theism. Um, I, I would argue a little bit with that because I don't know how to fit some of these others into one of those three. But theism, deism, pantheism, panentheism, uh, polytheism, pluralism, naturalism. Those are the ones we're going to take a little look at. They're fairly comprehensive and catch almost every... Uh, possible worldview out there, although I would say that within each of these there are variations, so this isn't, doesn't have clean, sharp edges on, on any of these definitions, but I, what I want to do this morning is go through each one a little bit, and uh, first of all, just to establish what they are, we'll start with uh, the one that we love and are, are most familiar with, and uh, probably is the worldview of almost, if not everybody in here. And that's theism. And so theism is a term that comes uh, from the Greek word for God, theos. Um, a theistic worldview, theism is a theistic worldview that believes an eternal God freely created all of existence, time, space, matter, celestial realms, the heavens, 
and the, the bodies there, created them out of nothing, ex nihilo, of nothing, and that he continues to act within the creation in varying ways, varying degrees. You want me to read that again? I don't know if you want to write all these down or not, but um, a theistic worldview that believes an eternal God freely created everything and that he continues to act within the creation. Okay? Now, on your, on your uh, sheet, I think I put, did I put a little thing, God is? Here's, wh here's where, why that's in there, because we're going to identify with each of these kind of something of the nature of God or the God that is a part of this worldview. And so uh, here I'm going to introduce a couple, a, word, a couple of words that may be new to some of you too. God is, and after the first one you write transcendent. And that's a word that simply means that God is, he transcends his creation, he is above it, he is over it, he, he is big and bigger than any of it, and, and he's not... Not, not a part of it, but he is over it. He, he transcends it, okay? Clear. The other word um, is imminent, I-M-M-A-N-E-N-T. And that's a word, when we describe God, that means that he is not only transcendent over it, he is above all creation, he has existed from timeless eternity, uh, he is also imminent in that he is intimately involved with creation. So that's a theistic worldview. Now, I want to take just a, a bit of a, a rabbit trail here. Hang on, let me get my Bible. I'm going to read, and if you brought a Bible and want to see it yourself, it's Hebrews 11, verse 6. You know what Hebrews 11 is. What, it's the blank chapter, the faith, Hall of Fame faith chapter. All right, um, the writer has, has begun by giving a definition of faith, and then he moves on down to this, this key verse, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, that's God, for whoever would draw near to God, if you're going to have any kind of a positive interaction with God by drawing near, must believe, must believe two things, that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That is a powerful statement. And let me just make one or two observations about that. If, if you're going to have any kind of a connection with God, you've just simply got to believe that he is, and that he is God, <laughs> the kind of God that is able to do all this. And so I think that's a statement about God's transcendence. You got to believe if you're going to connect with God, you got to believe that He is, and He is that kind of a God. And then He goes on, and that He rewards those who seek Him, that He will become intimately involved with you as your heart opens. That's the imminence. He's big and out there, but He is right here with you. And and to me, that's a, that's a powerful summary of this. So God is transcendent in a theistic worldview, and he is imminent, intimately involved with creation. And, of course, the adherence to a theistic worldview would be Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. All right. So how does it answer these worldview questions that we went through? 
Remember those five? <clears throat> They're there, metaphysical, theological, epistemological, ethical, and anthropological. Well, let's just look. It's pretty obvious in, in most ways. But uh, what is there? Is there something? Well, the metaphysical question is answered in a theistic worldview. There is something. And an infinite creator is responsible for creating all that there is. He is completely separate from creation and created it out of his own good pleasure, not out of some kind of necessity. Okay, he was not beholden to any other being because there was no other being to be beholden to. But God, uh, the, the Trinity existed from infinity and he created everything. Theological, is there a God? Well, he's the creator of the universe. He exists beyond it and he acts within it. Epistemological truth is absolute. Truth has its ground in God. And how do we get truth? We get it primarily through general revelation. What's general revelation? Yeah, uh, the, the, what you see, the creation, that's general revelation. Romans 1 talks about what that tells us about God. Uh, and special revelation, and special revelation are those times when he has given us, um, given us the scripture. And, and uh, we read of God appearing to people and telling prophets and all that, so special revelation. The ethical question is, in a theistic worldview, says this, moral laws do exist, and they apply to everybody, all people at all times because they have their basis in God. The anthropological part of this is that simply that uh, theistic worldview says man is created by God and therein finds his purpose, his destiny, and his dignity. It's bestowed on man by God. All right? There you have a, a summary description of a theistic worldview. Any questions? Comments? No. <laughs> see, see me later. Let's look at let's look at another one. I mean, we need to, need to kind of keep moving here a little bit. Deism, um, of course, that that word comes from Deus, which is the Latin for God. Deism is a theistic worldview that believes God created the universe but has not been involved in it since. And so here, in contrast to theism, deism believes that God is transcendent, but not imminent, not involved in creation. It's interesting that uh, some of our founding fathers were, were deists, people like uh, Thomas Jefferson and Thomas Paine, Benjamin Franklin, many theistic evolutionists, would probably fit into the category of being deists. So how does deism answer the worldview questions? We'll go through this list again. Metaphysical, there is something. And an infinite creator is responsible for creating all that there is. Theological, God is the creator of the universe. And he exists beyond it, but does not concern himself with it any longer. And again, within deism, there, there's a spectrum. There are variations. Epistemological, 
A deist would say truth is absolute. It has its ground in God, and it's acquired primarily through general revelation. I don't need to pay any attention to the, to the scriptures because they don't believe that God was involved in producing this, just a human document, a religious document. So not special revelation, but general. Ethical moral laws do exist, and they apply to all people at all times, but they have their basis in nature, not in God's decrees. Anthropological, man is created neutral, neither good or evil, and gains dignity through his actions. His eternal destiny, if there is one, is determined by his actions. Okay? We're rolling through these. Did you list adherence to deism? I, I, yes, indirectly, but not specifically. Voltaire, Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Paine, Benjamin Franklin, many theistic evolutionists would be probably fit in that category. Um, so people are holding to a theistic evolutionary worldview generally? I, yes, I would say. Generally speaking, I mean, that, that, that point of view is that God sort of flipped the switch on, on the evolutionary process and then backed away and just let it all take care of itself. And that's a, that's a, a kind of a garden variety, deistic, deism approach. So, I mean, there would be many theistic evolutionists who would, in other aspects, would be considered evangelical. And that's why I said many theistic evolutionists, but, but not all of them. I have a book about that thick in my library, uh, just simply called Theistic Evolution, and I'm still trying to figure out kind of where that guy is. Uh, I can read about that much of it, and then I have to back away and think. It takes me a long time to think. Okay, uh, let, let's look at polytheism. Poly, of course, is a word that means many. Um, this is a theistic worldview that believes very simply there are many gods none of which are supreme. And again, this is a very broad category of religious thinking. Um, the uh, uh, God is in a polytheistic, generally a polytheistic worldview. God is imminent. And he, these many gods are involved in people's lives. And the adherents uh, would be many ancient religions, um, Hinduism, Zen, Buddhists. And here's an interesting thing. Do you know that Mormons are essentially polytheists? Um, some, some great examples of polytheism are the early Hawaiians. Um, within the early Hawaiian culture, they believed in the god of volcanoes, Pele. Um, the god of the sea and many other gods. Um, in many expressions of polytheism, the gods wage warfare with each other to determine, just like a pack of dogs, you know, who's the alpha. And then, as I said, uh, a church with a polytheistic worldview, by one definition, would be Mormons. They believe, um, and this is somewhat of an oversimplification, but every good Mormon male will become a god in his own right. Space is filled with the unborn spirits from celestial marriages waiting for physical bodies to enter and be born. And the polytheistic thinking in their theology is that uh, every good Mormon can become a god in his own universe. It's an interesting study all by itself.
Polytheism, how does that answer the questions? Metaphysical, there is something. It's been there for all eternity, essentially. Theological, many finite gods that are imminent within the universe, but none transcendent above it, generally speaking. Epistemological, truth is acquired as the deities choose to reveal it, and therefore it is relative, not absolute. Um, ethical, absolute moral laws do not exist. They're determined by the individual gods. Anthropological, what's man? Man is here for the pleasure of the gods and will attain, in most cases, to some kind of an afterlife based on the amount of pleasure that they can bring to their god or gods. And that's an oversimplification of a huge um, segment of our world's population, but it's there. Questions or comments? I, I, I think so. Uh, on, on one, in one respect, I don't know enough about Hinduism to make a very, I would defer to those of you who might, but I, I think so. Uh, there are other elements here that we'll see Hindus pop up in too, including the next one, which is uh, pantheism. Pan is a word that means all. And so this is a theistic worldview that believes God is identical with the universe. The universe, all, every created thing, is God, and God is the universe. There are several forms of pantheism, uh, of course, but, uh, but essentially the core belief is that everything is part of the one great oneness. Uh, some writers call it the real, capital R, and that, that's it. So we're a part of that by virtue of being a part of the universe. We're a part of that impersonal divinity that makes up the universe. And in answering the question, why is there something rather than nothing, uh, pantheism says that everything had an impersonal beginning. The universe itself has and is an intelligence that brought itself into being. The something that exists is how that energy expresses itself. If you've seen the Star Wars movies, you've seen the ideas of pantheism. Um, it, it's that impersonal energy field called the force. And since the beginning of the universe had an impersonal origin, the question of why uh, it's there gets sidestepped. Kind of like naturalism, pantheism basically says we don't have a good answer to that question, so we don't think about it. It's just there. Tap into the force. Tap into the divinity that is within yourself. Adherence, Hindus, Zen, Buddhists, Christian science, new age. Um, how does it answer the, the worldview questions? Metaphysical, everything is kind of an illusion except the oneness of the real, which is God. Theological, all is God, God is all. God is impersonal. By the way, God is imminent in, only in this. Uh, no sense of transcendence there. 
Epistemological, the only truth is that which is found in the real and it's much of it beyond our understanding. Uh, sense, experience, reason are misleading because they're based on illusions. Ethical, moral laws are part of the illusion of this life and they don't have any basis in the real. And so in, in, in God, in this worldview, there is really neither good nor evil. It just is, or it appears to be. Anthropological, man is part of the real. Self-realization will help you work off bad karma, the bad stuff you did in your previous life, through a process of reincarnation until you unite with the real in nirvana and thereby losing any sense of individuality. You're absorbed into this great real. Again, this is uh, oversimplified and comes from someone who has read about this, me. Um, and yet, it's, uh, it's a huge part of our world of worldviews. Now, there's an kind of an interesting variation that you don't hear a lot about, and that's the next one, panentheism. Uh, pan, of course, is all again. N is in. And so this is a variation that shows up in, in some ways, and some, some of it has kind of taken a new um, prominence in recent decades. But this is a, a theist, a, a, it's a theistic worldview that believes that the universe is a part of who God is, but is not all that God is. And so it, it takes a, a bit of the transcendence idea and includes, um, includes that, uh, that God is, is, is the universe, but is still something a bit more. In other words, God is the ocean, we're the fish. Um, the universe is God's body, but God is something more than the sum of the parts of the universe. And this took on a, a name, a term, um, not some, t some time ago in recent history called process theology. I don't know if that means anything to any of you. And there, is an, there was an interesting development uh, several decades ago called open theism. Anybody ever heard of open theism? One hand went up. Way to go, Ricky. So, Ricky, tell us what open theism. No, that's okay. I've got it in my notes, but you probably know. Um, Open theism is, is a view of God that, that, um, that believes uh, the future is open to him. He does not know everything about the future. Uh, his knowledge of how people will react and how things will happen is limited. Uh, great calamities in the world uh, cannot be blamed on God because he was not able to prevent them. Uh, that type of thing, and interestingly, it, it came out of a kind of an evangelical background. Uh, if you've heard the name Clark Pinnock, uh, he was uh, the late Clark Pinnock, uh, fairly famous author and theologian. Uh, he proposed this, this view. Tell me quickly, what are one or two major problems with that, with open theism? Pardon? God could not be God in, in the sense. In the way we define him, true. 
It rules out ultimate sovereignty. It's a limited sovereignty. Omnipotence and omniscience. Um, there's a huge problem with the uh, prophecies of the Old Testament because there's no way he could make a prophecy and then guarantee that it would be fulfilled. Panentheism. How does it answer the worldview questions? Metaphysical. There is something, and this something, the universe is a part of God and therefore necessarily exists. Theological. God is finite. And, oh, I was going to say God is, in this view, both transcendent and imminent in limited ways. Um, God is finite. He's undergoing change and development along with the universe. The universe is in God, although God is more than the universe. Epistemological, truth is developing and is acquired primarily through nature. Ethical moral laws do not exist since morals are changing as God is changing. Anthropological, man is a part of God like cells are a part of the body. Um, this was an interesting statement that came out of um, a panentheist theologian. Is that a proper combination of words? Man will live forever as a part of the memory of God. That's your hope in this worldview for the afterlife. Your, your, your memory, God will remember that you are or were. Okay? Any other questions? Any questions about that? Yeah, uh, Hindus, some Hindus, again, would go this direction, in my understanding. Process theologians, some open theists would take this approach. Um, I should say, I came across a kind of a, a chart that lists all these worldviews and and the stuff that we're going through in kind of a matrix form, easy to identify. I didn't, I felt embarrassed giving you four sheets already, so I didn't staple this one on, but if you, I've got 40 or 50 copies up here. If you wanna uh, come up later and take it home as a quick reference thing, some of the things you might not remember have time to write down would be answered in there. Pluralism, let's look at pluralism. This is, of course is a worldview that believes that all beliefs uh, are ultimately true even if they are contradictory. Uh, this should probably say pluralism slash um, relativism. Um, adherence, postmoderns, liberals, many new age philosophies uh, would, would uh, fit into this category. How does it answer the worldview questions? Metaphysical, all previous views are correct based on the relative nature of truth. Um, theological, all views of God are true and describe who he is. Epistemological, truth is relative. There is no absolute truth and therefore no absolute knowledge of truth. Ethical question, absolute moral laws do not exist since there is no absolute truth. All moral laws are correct for the individual, subjectivism, or for the culture, relativism. You believe what you wanna believe, I'm happy for you. Go for it. But 
don't tell me that I have to believe that same thing. I mean, that's, we understand, we probably understand this point of view because it's uh, become such a core part of our, our culture. Um, anthropological, whatever you believe about man is correct based upon the relative nature of truth. You know, this is where we are in our society. It's a sele selective tolerance. Even hardly, but um, <laughs> so it's really kind of, we're not really going there. They, they do believe yeah. the good and the evil, but it's probably personal. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's, an easy, um, it's an easy approach to take until you start looking at it carefully because it is so self-contradictory. What's the one absolute law in a pluralistic, relativistic worldview? There is no truth. And by their own definition, that could be questioned. Yeah, uh, just a sidebar, I was reading where uh, one college professor or commentator has recently stated that the one thing that every student who comes into their class now asserts and can agree on is that there is no truth. And then he is trying to prompt them to greater thinking by saying, is that true? And they all mm -hmm. say, yes. And he said, but you just declared that there can be no one truth. Yeah. I have kind of forgotten our responsibility, self-assigned responsibility, to repeat the questions for those of you watching at home. Um, but he, uh, David is just pointing out that, that the story of a college professor who um, observes that kids are coming into college nowadays holding that view that there is no truth. Am I saying that right? And so he challenges them, is that an absolute truth? And of course they, um, they sit there and the wheels are turning, hopefully the wheels are turning. Um, let's look at naturalism a little. This of course, uh, I think we understand this as well. Um, most of your biology and physical science professors at our wonderful universities are naturalists. This is an atheistic worldview that believes that nature is the sum total of all reality. Adherence, name a thousand. Uh, Marx, Nietzsche, Freud, Russell, many scientists. Remember the tagline at the end of the Cosmos series that uh, Carl Sagan put together that I'm sure some of you watched? H how did that program end? Do you remember? There's this deep, profound-sounding voice that says, the cosmos is all that is, or ever was, or ever will be. And he was such an engaging guy. I mean, I think he sucked in a lot of people. How does naturalism answer these questions? Metaphysical, there is something, and it has eternally existed. Um, everything always obeys the laws of nature. And of course, theological, there is no God. Epistemological, um, some truth, 
is objective, namely that which is found in the eternal laws of nature. Name, somebody name me one of those objective, absolute truths that come from nature. Gravity, Gravity right. Okay, there's one that's absolute. Um, ethical, moral laws do not exist because moral law would require a moral lawgiver. Where does our concept of right and wrong come from? Well, it's a social construct. It's a cultural construct in this view. And so it can change and will change and does and has in our um, recent lifetime. Anthropological man is a meaningless result of chance brought about by cause and effect of the natural order, no ultimate purpose to man's existence, no uniqueness of man, no internal inherent dignity, i.e. the image of God, um, higher, the highest order of, of um, the animal world. Okay, well, questions or comments on that before we move into part two? Yes. Um, on pantheism, I think you mentioned reincarnation. Is reincarnation also a part of polytheism since I would assume so. Again, I, I'm not a well versed enough in all the uniqueness of some of those other world religions to to be able to answer that off the top of my head, but I, I would assume so. Yeah. Okay. Um, there are, uh, the, the study that I kind of, that helped structure my thinking that I took some of this from, suggested that, that we should look at each of these. Uh, there are four worldview tests. And I, I think I have them on your, your outline. And so we'll, we'll take a little time and go through these um, from this time. So we're going to cycle through again now these worldviews uh, by using these uh, worldview tests and just see where we come out. Um, the test of reason simply answers the question, is, this, is it logical? The test of outer experience, is a worldview are these worldview claims consistent with what we see and know? Test of inner experience. Is it consistent with what we sense and feel inside? And then the test of practice. Does it work? Is it livable? That kind of thing. Okay? So, um, let's take this first one. The, the test of reason. Is the worldview logical? And we'll just walk through these worldviews and see how it goes. Let's, we'll start with theism again. Is the worldview logical? Yes, here's why. It's rational. It does not fail in any area of logical consistency. Uh, to say that there is an eternal God who is the creator of all things, but yet himself is uncreated, 
does not vi violate the law of causality. Let me explain. In other words, all effects have a cause. God is not an effect. He is the cause. And if, well, I'll get to that later. So, is it logic? It's rational. It's simply from the standpoint of, where'd this stuff come from? Okay, let's look at deism. Yeah, uh, it's, it's logical in the sense that there's no logical contradiction in saying that God may have chosen to not be involved in the universe anymore. I mean, that has other problems for us, but he very well could have created the universe and then walked away. Um, is pantheism logical? No. God and the universe are one. The universe cannot be eternal. God, in that view, cannot be eternal and therefore would not be God. Um, there is no great cause, no great, uh, the ultimate cause. In a yes? No, I, I, that's not. That's not their view. Uh, that's. That's our view. They they believe it is. But that doesn't uh, that doesn't pass the test of reason, and and we may I may touch on that later. But you know there there is so much hard physical evidence now in the sciences that the universe is not eternal. That it had a beginning. And so it, it, doesn't, it doesn't pass the test of reason for that and other reasons. So the question was, uh, tell me the question again. <laughs> Why is the universe not eternal? Well, a pantheist believes that it just has always been, um, it's just always been. Um, panentheism, it does not pass the test for the same, much of the same reasons. God cannot be both infinite and finite. Um, in this view, God cannot exist without the universe. The universe cannot be eternal. It's a logical absurdity to have an uncreated universe. Um, and so if, God, if the universe is a part of God, God could not be eternal. Uh, if God is not eternal, something must have created God, and that eternal something then would in turn have to be God. Uh, it just it doesn't hold together. Does polytheism, many gods, is that a reasonable, is that a logical approach? Well, yes and no. If your view of polytheism is that there are many <laughs> celestial spirits that people worship, um, people do worship demons and angels and other actual beings. And so, uh, you know, it would make sense on one level it, for them to believe that, one, that my God is, is, a, is a real God, that it, it, makes, it makes sense. But if you believe that there are many actual gods, uh, that, that doesn't make logical sense because... The very defi definition of God is that he is the greatest necessary being. 
This view states that there are many gods who is none of whom are ultimate necessary beings. I'm getting a little tangled up here, but it's rational, rationally absurd. There can be only one necessary being, it would seem. He exists by himself, of himself, and by definition is the, the first cause. Many gods cannot, do not make logical sense in the way we would define logic anyway. Pluralism, um, does it pass the test of reason? No. Something cannot be true, i.e. there is only one God, and false. There is not only one God at the same time and in the same relationship. Uh, assuming that this pluralism is relativistic, pluralism one author says, is also self-defeating in that it purports that all religions are true. Take, for example, the statement, Christianity is true. In a pluralistic, pure, pure, pluralistic worldview, this is a correct statement. Now, take the statement, pluralism is false. This is also true according to pure pluralism. Pluralism, therefore, is self-defeating. It is logically absurd. Is it reasonable? No. Naturalism has only two options. They're both unreasonable. The universe has no beginning, and the universe is self-created. Does that make any kind of sense? No. It's, lot, it's a logical contradiction to have an endless series of effects without a cause. Uh, the second option that the universe is self-created is not possible for something to create itself. It would have to predate itself in order to create itself. The spontaneous eruption of everything from nothing, though taught, is self-defeating, it's absurd on the face of it. Um, one of the reasons I enjoyed uh, reading the um, Geisler-Turek book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, this week was his description of um, Einstein's discovery of the theory of relativity and when he realized the implications of that in terms of the universe having to have a cause and exhibiting ultimately as he was shown himself through the Hubble or through the one of the big telescopes uh, that that the universe is in motion it is expanding space is expanding uh, he was mortified and he tried to put a fudge factor into the mathematics of his work and the way Geisler and Turek describe it, it was discovered by a grad student that he had made a mathematical error, consciously or unconsciously. And um, there just does not seem to be, in my non-scientific uh, experience uh, or reading, any quarrel, really, over whether the universe is in motion and expanding, which implies a beginning. And that's why the Big Bang Theory came into existence. 
And some say, well, all of, it, it was not created, it did not bang out of nothing, but everything that is was, was compressed into an infinitely small speck, and that blew up at one point. Um, on one level, I think the Big Bang Theory is the, the uh, science's beautiful explanation of Genesis 1-1. God said, let there be light. Um, and everything was set in motion from nothing. Okay, well, um, having fumbled my way through that, let's look at question number two, test of outer experience. Uh, what do these worldviews say, or, or what we see and know, is it consistent with the worldview? Well, with theism, yes. Clearly, history clearly shows um, the interventions of a personal and imminent God. Um, we went through the resurrection a few weeks ago, the study of the resurrection, and how it's the, the best attested fact of ancient history. It, it is essentially, if you accept basic truth um, claims, uh, unassailable. You can only say, now the resurre physical resurrection of Jesus did not occur by setting aside a number of very inconvenient um, challenges to that. Um, general revelation um, describes the beginnings and, and God's continued intervention. And so what we see and what we know gives evidence of continuing intervention by a personal, imminent God. And the universe speaks to a beginning. It makes, it's consistent with what we see and know. Deism, no, it, it, it isn't consistent with what we see. Again, hi history shows um, the evidence of God, God's involvement uh, in creation and ongoing human experience. Pantheism? No, there, there's nothing in human history or experience that would suggest that God and the universe are one and the same. Um, if we're part of God, would people, uh, in, in the way that a pantheistic, pure pantheistic worldview would suggest, wh why are people continuing to be born if reincarnation is the mechanism for bringing life in. I, that's an interesting thought that I'd like to mull a little more. Panentheism, similar, if we're part of God. Um, I mean, we see good things in other people, but when you look at the universe and the world, do you, do you see ultimate goodness prevailing? No, it's a constant battle to show anything good or to produce anything good out of our cultures around the world. Yes? Somebody that believed in reincarnation seems to me like that they would be anti-abortion because abortion is bringing somebody into the world reincarnated or... Right. I had never connected those two, but that's worth, uh, be worth researching a little to see how reincarnationist view abortions. Anybody know? No. No, I was just I was gonna say that many people who believe in reincarnation 
their previous life, they were always somebody famous. A princess or a <clears throat> some kind of world leader. Why did they have, they had so much bad karma, they came back as an ordinary person? <laughs> or worse, as the cockroach you stepped on last night? Okay. Um, polytheism. You know, it, it, unexplained things throughout ancient history would give rise to thinking that there's something beyond this life that's causing all this stuff or that's connected, and so we make a god out of the sun if you're in Egypt. Or, you know, did you realize that most of the plagues, the ten plagues, were specific attacks against Egypt's primary deities? Um, you can understand how polytheism would develop if, if they resisted or willfully ignorant of the fact that, as Romans says, there is one God who demonstrates himself through creation uh, to have two qualities, his divine power and his uh, great power and his divine nature. Um, and so they, they make many gods out of things they don't understand. <clears throat> um, so in a sense, you can understand why Polytheism would develop. Why a volcano that would erupt in Hawaii would would uh, say to people in their own thinking, you know what? There's something big going on here. There must be a deity of some kind that we have to pacify so this doesn't blow up all over us again. Pluralism. Um, it just isn't consistent with what we see and know. There, it's contrary to our experience to state that there are contradictory truths that are true at the same time. Um, you know, wh why do you stop at a stop sign? Just because it's a law? No, you, you should be able to do whatever you want if that truth is not true for you. Um, pluralism is, it seems to me, just a way of evading um, evading the responsibility to consider life and make a decision about what's behind it. Just let everybody be. We're all good. And of course, the eternal implications of that are incredible. Naturalism um, does not seem to square with what we see and know. There seems to be more, so much more than just this life. Um, third test, test of inner experience. Is it consistent with what we feel? Theism? Yeah. In this respect, I think, John Calvin, an ancient theologian, called our understanding of God as the sensus divinitatis, the sense of the divine. We, uh, we all have kind of an innate understanding of God. In an evolutionary construct, where would that have come from? A sense of something bigger than all of us. Um, Ninety-five percent, one author claims, I, I don't have any reason to believe otherwise, 95 percent of the world has always been theistic. We all show some attributes of God the communicable attributes through our reasoning capabilities, mor morality, sense of right and wrong. We just, 
know that there is something wrong with torturing a baby for fun. Where did that come from? We, we know that some things are wrong. There are moral laws because there, was, there is a moral lawgiver. So theism is consistent with what we feel and sense. Deism, yes and no. Um, some deists would probably say that ex their experience proves there is no personal God since they cannot, uh, they do not experience any verifiable contact with God. It's never happened to them. Others would say, you know, we have felt the presence of God's activity in some ways, and it, uh, it uh, challenges our deistic approach. And so, you know, it depends on the deism. Pantheism, panentheism, um, even though we show certain characteristics of God, inner experience does not suggest that we are God. Not many people in the world, uh, unless there is a mental issue or some other thing, would say, I am God. What do we know? I exist and I'm not God. I would say that was true maybe 50 years ago. That's not true anymore. I've encountered people that said they're God. Yeah. And they believe it. They believe they're God and they're right to do what they want to do. And that means that they're relativistic in their worldview and that, I mean, but yeah. Right. I know um, that, I don't know if they go to sleep thinking that. Right, but I know as they walk around, they they believe that that they're the what the they're, they're the of the morality though. They're the destined. They're their pre. They're their own preordained destination. What they choose to do is what's supposed to happen, and that's that. Yeah, that's a very self-elevating, self-focused uh, assessment of life, and and. Uh, yeah. What about our sense of, of the body of Christ in the church? Our sense of the body of Christ in the church in what? That we are, we are, we are the body of Christ as a church. Leader. Okay, yeah. That being a part of God and having been connected with him as his children is, means we have God within us, and yet he is separate from us. It's, it's different to be a part of God and his work and his body than it is to be God. And I, I think we just kind of have to explain it that way. Part of that transcendence and imminence thing. Yes, God is imminent. He's here. We are in him. We are in Christ. That's a very common New Testament description of a Christian in Christ. Uh, but we are not Christ. We are not God. He is also transcendent uh, and imminent. I, I've also encountered people who claim that they were God under some of these definitions, and, and there comes a point where I don't believe we're obligated to entertain uh, others' opinions when they seek to impose them on us, and that was one of those situations. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, uh, let's go to the VA hospital right now. I've got some miracles for you to perform. Mm -hmm. And, and it shut him up immediately. And he started bubbling and babbling. And I said, well, see, you don't believe that you are God, and I don't believe that you're God. 
and perhaps all that you're doing is you're re trying to redefine the term God. And so, but but I, I felt an obligation to challenge and end that that claim. Um, and, and I think sometimes we're under an obligation to to do such things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the questioner is is describing. Uh, the need to challenge people who say that. And I mean, we do run into people who say that. Uh, Ricky said the same thing. Um, I, I think, uh, I mean, there's so many bases for challenging that, uh, uh, such as, okay, if, you have, if you're God, then you have divine power to heal, and, and uh, let, let's go do that. Um, you know, and, and what sense are you God? Are you a part of a polytheistic thing where everybody's a god uh, or, or there are many gods and you happen to be one of those or are you the ultimate creator of the universe it's uh, you know it's uh, it's absurd and so there are people you know the, this question test of inner experience is consistent with what we feel there are some people who feel that but not most it's an aberration it's kind of the exception that proves the rule in a sense um, can I uh, I'm not trying to run. <laughs> I think that naturalistic, you put naturalism on here, yeah. and, and in my experience inside the world, it's a, that's where everybody believes there is a God, they are God, is because that's what they've been taught since childhood, is that there is no metaphysical world, there is nothing that is beyond explanation as long as we take the time and the energy to try to explain it, right? So. So there is no there is no need for God. So that makes us God in our own sense. And so we we have Nietzsche said God was dead, but I mean he was proven wrong. But again, that that naturalistic worldview believes believes that we are ultimately God because there is no God. Right. Yeah. As much. And from a naturalistic, I'm going to rephrase your thing a little bit, you tell me if I'm right, but as much as there would be in a pure naturalist's worldview, as much as there is a concept of God that I, I am it or we are it, um, and so it, it simply is a self-leveling, self-suppressing thing because there is no ultimate God. So God, small g, um, I show sparks of, of divinity in, in what, uh, what I see of myself. Um, I, w I wonder if you talk to a lot of those people 10, 20, 30 years later, would they still claim that, having walked through whatever they did in life and encountered their own inabilities to uh, have a divine effect on their circumstances? I don't know. Naturalism... Uh, Pluralism, inexperience, tells us something cannot be true and false at the same time. Naturalism, 95% of the world has always been theists because there's that sense. Um, we exhibit attributes of God. Where did that come from? And so on. Um, let, let's just go through uh, the last question there quickly on a couple of these at least. Uh, the test of practice, does it work? Is it livable? Uh, Theistic theism, you know, it's fair to say that most people live according to a theistic worldview, whether they admit it or not. Um, 
people tend to have this sense, tend to live as if there is a God who is personal and transcendent. They, they live according to a certain standard of beliefs in right or wrong. Almost everybody has some sense that they're going to be, there's going to be some kind of accountability for, for what they do and how they live, even if they profess they don't believe in this case. Now, you, you may contradict that with your experience with people, but I, I, I believe the huge majority just, there's that sense that there is something more. And that or they may not think it for themselves, but they would think that there's got to be justice for a Hitler or a Stalin sure. or, yeah. or somebody else that's done. Accountability for the worst for cases. the person who does wrong to them personally. Yes, or the person who does wrong. If you hurt me, you're accountable to something. But they may not apply it to themselves. Right. Which is the symptom of just people not thinking clearly about life and not having somebody challenge them with some of these worldview things, which is part of what I hope we can are equipping you to do. Um, does deism work? Again, probably most people who believe there was an ultimate God still sense that, boy, they're answerable to him someday. Uh, they live as if his requirements are actively present and binding in their everyday live, lives. Um, do you think pantheists who believe in reincarnation think about it every day? Um, if, they're if you're caught up in this cycle of reincarnation, how, how would, and you really believe that, how would you live? Um, you'd live according to some standard of improvement because you want to come back better. And you want to come back uh, not, not as a grasshopper but as um, a king or a something. Um, polytheists um, do not consistently live as if there is no ultimate Creator, they live according to a certain set of moral values. They expect others to do the same. Um, the different gods in a polytheistic world or cultures all have a different standard of right or wrong. It depends on, on the god you serve, and so there's no consistency there. There's confusion. Pluralists believe um, in a universal right and wrong, but it is... Um, a pluralistic worldview. Pluralism is right, exclusivism is wrong, and it's impossible to be a consistent pluralist. It's self-contradictory. Don't be afraid to confront people with that. I asked the Universalists one time, I had their church program in my, they rode with me to work, and their church program was in my car, or in their car. And at the bottom of it, it says, in the search of truth with each other. And I asked him, what happens when you find it? And he didn't have an answer. Because I said, if it's true, it's true, right? And he's like, well, yeah. It's like, so if I find truth and I go to church and I want to share it, what happens? And then, it, of course, it quickly devolved into a relativistic conversation. But 
he was smart enough to know that that statement was weak. Mm -hmm. I think that people with that worldview think the search is more important than the answer. And so they feel heroic that they're on a search. People feel heroic when they're on a search uh, because that gives them some dignity. They're at least trying to make some sense of their own lives and others' lives. And naturalists, uh, again, just basically do live according to a set of moral values that's kind of innate. Um, that set of moral values can only be explained by a moral lawgiver, uh, even though they may choose to not acknowledge it. On the, yes, Pete. Um, in, in, in our uh, WANA, one of the requirements for a senior high is to share your faith every year with someone. And I've turned that into kind of an assignment that they write it out. Good. And, you know, looking at all of these different worldviews and all the different religions that come with it, how do I become an expert on Buddhism or Hinduism or Stoicism or whatever? And my emphasis to them is, is to become an expert at Christianity. Mm -hmm. Lay the foundation where you can answer all the big questions of life using scripture, logic, evidence outside of scripture. Know those things. Because yeah. if you can answer those things, they usually can't answer, uh, you know, someone you speak to on the street may not be able to answer and give an answer anymore. Mm -hmm. You can lay it out for them yeah. for how Christianity works and, and what is the evidence for it. Yeah. Yeah. Pete's saying that, that these Iwana students are challenged to to know the truth, the Christian, the theistic, biblical worldview, and then and then work on the other areas. The best way to determine if a stick is crooked, put a straight stick beside it. I was just going to say our church library has a wonderful resource for kids called Windows of the World, mm -hmm. and it's fantastic and it explores all the major world religions, but. The Christian perspective is laid out like Pete um, has really uh, shown, you know, in what he just said. So that's, it's really good. It's meant for children, and you pray for people of other cultures and belief systems. You learn the five major world religions. Yeah, uh, Windows of the World, it's called, in our church library, yeah. On, on, the, on the last part there, just... Is, Christian, is it reasonable to believe in God? A uh, couple of quotes. I'll just read these and then we'll be done. The arguments for God contend that belief in God makes more rational sense of the world than non-belief because it accounts for the data, what we see and know about the world. What, what would a world and universe be like if there were a transcendent, infinite, eternal God? And you draw all that out and it would, you'd end up with what we have. It makes sense. It is more rational, takes less of a leap of faith to believe in God than to not believe. Are, are you saying it's rational to believe in a God or to believe in our God of the Bible, Christian, uh, New Testament, and Old Testament? Well, both. Because uh, once you accept the idea of an infinite, eternal God, a God, then you get into the evidentiary studies Okay, so what does history tell us things have been like? And then, and then you come up with a rational case for the personal God 
whom we know from the Bible. These books, Keller, Making Sense of God, The Reason for God, Geisler, Turek, there are so many others. I, I, st I still am promising you that if you keep coming to this class, by the time we get to the end, uh, we'll, we'll have a list of resources available for you of these things that we have been using. And so, Ricky, you and I and Jeff need to get to cracking on putting that list together. Um, thank you for being here and listening and participating. I hope some of this is helpful. As I said, there's this little matrix. Whoever put that thing together left out the pantheism uh, piece of it, and that's too bad, but you've got enough, I think. Welcome to come up here and help yourself to one of those. God, thank you for your truth and for your existence. Thank you that we can be confident in that. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through your son Jesus, through the world, the universe, through the scriptures. We pray that we would honor you by how we handle this information in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.